Hi, I'm Rachel Dillon. And I'm Marcus Dillon. And this podcast is Who's Really the Boss, where we highlight the joys and challenges of running a business with your spouse or family. Our mission is to strengthen families and businesses by helping listeners avoid the mistakes we have made so they can lead and live happily ever after. Welcome back to season two of Who's Really the Boss podcast. Hey, thanks for having me back. So since we are still in January, I believe this episode releases um, in January. What's one thing you intended to start in January that you either never started or have already changed your mind on? Yeah, I'm doing okay, actually. Is there something that you know of that I meant to start and I didn't? <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> no, I don't have anything. I wish I did. <laughs> uh, uh, I yeah, wish I could I call mean, you out on something. Let me think. Let me keep thinking. Maybe we'll end the episode with the thing yeah. you were supposed to do and you never did it. <laughs> That's why you never document your uh, your what you're trying to accomplish. So. Usually um, we do document this year. We didn't. So yeah. maybe we need to document so you can't get out of this when we get to the end of the year. Yeah. The only thing, I mean, the only thing that I may have not done well with yet, it, it has to do with like stress and starting the new year. So I, I was hoping to go into this year kind of a little more um, calm, collected, um, some uncertainty with different things that are going on, uh, some, some different hurdles with, non DBA, non things, um, have kind of, um, have not allowed for that. And it may just be as stupid as like an email address that I had no idea that I owned and a whole <laughs> inbox that I have to go through sometime. Um, but I just feel like there, there's like this cloud of uncertainty still following me around from January 1st. And I need to go, I need to go kick that cloud. Um, I need to go outrun it or address why it's still following me. And I just haven't sat and sat down and done what I needed to, um, to address. Okay. That. Did you ask me? I think you asked me, was there one you needed to start that oh, you yeah. didn't? Are you just going to edit all that? And <laughs> Here we go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Here like, we go. There were two suggestions made to help that, with so this suggestions a little made, bit. May, did me. I make a suggestion? Yeah. No, so there you me. go. Did I commit? Did I listen? Did <laughs> no, I hear? no so, you did but, not. You didn't commit. You didn't listen. But you okay. you just asked me were there ones I should have. So okay. I'm gonna All right, go. Put them out for the world to hold you accountable to, either to help with a little bit of the New Year stress. Schedule an appointment with a counselor. Oh, we're not doing that. Oh. <laughs> You're supposed to be an advocate for mental health and Mental health is important for everybody else. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Or uh, fasting in prayer was the other one uh, that could help with that situation as well. And probably yeah. both of those are needed. Um, and you could see great progress rather than spinning your wheels and wishing it was a different situation. So yeah, so there you go. You know. So that's out there. So if you want to know what you should do, that's what I think you should do. Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. All right. <laughs> what was, what was yours? Okay. I haven't quit, but I'm regretting my decision and this is so bad, but flossing my teeth every day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm There's just... like a million dentists that are going to like start like. Well, and that's why it's on my mind because uh, the dental space will be our topic of conversation today. 
But so you regret flossing, flossing your teeth every day? Flossing every day. I, I hate doing it. And so now I'm okay. thinking like, okay, what if I did five days a week? Five days a week is better than no days a week or better than one day a week. So if I can I just take a break two nights a so week we're just, and we're not get floss my all teeth? The, all these angry dentists are going to flame on and like comment about well, and funny enough because um i think that my gums are receding and potentially not flossing can cause that to worsen um i've yeah. been told so hopefully i'm saying that correctly so it's something that i really need to do it's not something that i should do or, or want to do but it's something that's really a necessity um for the results that i want so oh my gosh but i'm but i'm kind of thinking is five days good enough yeah <laughs> Well, yeah, if we haven't lost everybody already. So I think the, the, well, bring them all back. So we're a fee for service, uh, patient and don't, don't use dental insurance. So everybody rejoin the podcast and Here we ready go. to listen now. So Here we go. So talking about the dental space, we wanted to cover, should you accept the DSO offer as a, a dental practice owner? So this has become very prevalent in our area, but I think nationwide that dentists are being offered high multiples of their practice um, to purchase their practice or a portion of their practice by these larger dental service organizations. So really yep. wanted to talk through one, maybe people don't know what a DSO is or what it exactly stands for. So let's start there. What is a DSO? Yeah, a dental service organization is just it's it's a a group um, that provides services to dentists in their offices and their patients and kind of streamlines some of the back back offices insurance reimbursement. It, it, there's just a whole host of different services that are provided by the organization that is larger. It has a different team, and because of the results of scale with working with different offices and having a bigger top line revenue. Um, it can it can do those services at a different cost structure than an individual office. And so DSOs are in the dental space, DPO, dental partnership, you know, it's the same thing. It's a little bit different of a structure. They're also widely known in different professional service industries like the vet space. They're ultimately, you know, it's just, it's, it's everywhere now because of private equity and different options that exist. So who are these larger organizations approaching? Yeah. So, I mean, they, they love everybody. Um, as long as you're a doctor, uh, <laughs> that's exactly what it seems yeah. like. Like no, no one's off the table. Everybody's yeah. a, a good candidate potentially. Yeah. They want you, if you, if you're in business 30 years and you don't have an associate that you can kind of, you know, transition the practice to, they want to talk to you. If you have a great practice with a ton of associates and a ton of minority partners, they want to talk to you. If you're an associate that has no practice, they want to talk to you, you know? And so <laughs> I, I think they, they don't have many people that aren't an ideal, an, an ICP, like an ideal client uh, profile. So uh, that's probably a good question um, for some of our DSO <laughs> friends, like who is not a good fit um, yeah. part, probably, um, even like an unsuccessful business, like somebody that's just burned out and not profitable, they would still probably buy for pennies on the dollar. But, you know, it's just they're uh, they see an opportunity there and they're going to take advantage. What is their what is their promise or 
besides just a, a high multiplier, a high valuation of the person's practice, what are their promises that are leading people to join that organization or sell to that organization? Yeah, I, I think the, the overall promise is a promise of a better life. And that's a very general promise, right? Um, so I think in the back of your mind, if you own a business, a, a dental office, and you're the sole owner, the sole production in the office, maybe from a, from a doctor standpoint, uh, in the back of your mind, you've always got a succession question. Like, what does it look like to exit the business? Maybe you've read, um, you know, books where it says begin with the end in mind. And you're, you're just trying to go down that path of, uh, I started this business. I didn't have a, a good way to solve for how I get out of it. Um, and what does it look like for when I'm ready to exit? So a lot of times those are the people that they speak to a lot of times to say, hey, here's the path um, to exit the ownership of your practice. Um, here is that path, whether you're ready to do that in two to five years or 10 to 15. Like we can kind of structure some different deals to make it make sense for you. And I think those are a lot of times the conversations that happen because there's there's just this angst in that doctor that they don't have that solved for. And most, most entrepreneurial doctors want that solved, want all problems solved, and that's how they do it. So um, yeah, that's, that's usually the pain point that most people come to us with. So because lots of people are receiving offers from these larger organizations, what are considerations before signing anything? What are things that they should be considering before they sign a letter of intent, definitely before they sign like a, a sell agreement or a purchase agreement, yeah. what what are the considerations that they should all look out for? Uh, so, so there's so many. So I I can't. I mean, we just the I don't know if it's going to be released before this one, but how to improve the value of your business that applies in these situations. So um, have you evaluated um, your team, your patient list, your pricing? All of that goes into the, the multiple, the offer that you get. So I think just running a really good business and not kind of putting your head in the sand and hoping that it's going to be somebody else's problem. Um, nobody wants to buy a problem. And so I think that is as an owner, if you, if you don't address the problem, don't run a really good business, really, a really good office, then you're going to get less of a purchase price or less of a, of a deal because there's stuff to clean up, there's stuff to go fix, and no one wants to buy a fixer upper. So they will buy a fixer upper, but they're not gonna do it for your price. Um, yeah. So that that's the thing. And then once you've kind of got to the point where mentally you're ready um, for that conversation and you haven't identified any other alternatives, then you need proper representation. So you need to know what the market looks like. And it would just be no different than you sticking a for sale sign in the front yard of your house. Like if you have no idea what your house is worth, why would you ever do that? And you have to kind of go out to people who know the value of your practice or of your business and say, okay, it's, it's worth this today. How can we get it to, to be worth more? And, and I think those are the people you surround yourself as you're kind of leading up to having that conversation. And it kind of goes back to that team of advisors um, so definitely an attorney, you know, an accountant or a uh, fractional uh, executive team, a CFO, controller, whatever you want to call it, a CPA, um, 
And then also, you know, there's a place for, um, you know, transition specialists like a broker or somebody that really knows the market and can shop your office, your deal. Um, I, just like you would pay a realtor to get you top dollar for your house. So many people don't want to pay somebody to help them sell their business, which is kind of foolish because would you do that same thing for your house or would you actually pay a realtor a commission? Um, so I think that's, that's something to consider. So before you ever sign anything, before you're approached, like don't sign an LOI without visiting with an attorney that specializes in these type of deals that's seen them before. Um, and then also talk to maybe a broker and engage them. Yeah. And I think, and this is coming from experience, recent experience that we've had, there are a few questions that you probably want to get answered um, again before you're signing anything like how much cash do you actually walk away with? What are yeah. the tax implications of that, you know, immediately within that purchase year? Um, how is the purchase being funded? How much are you required to produce as a, a partner or a worker in the business once the purchase is done? Uh, do you want to expand on any of those? Yeah, all, all are relevant points. You hit on, on so many of them. Um, where you, where you first start is, is it a good deal or not? Like, and there are things that the business development people of DSOs hit on and they hit on them at the wrong times, I think. So we were just involved in one that, that did not end in an agreement. Um, but they kept on bringing up like the way that it was structured and the tax benefits of the structure and why they were using debt in this way. And that's great, but ultimately it's a bad deal. It's a bad deal for the doctor. Um, they owned the building that they're in it, and it, the, the rent on the other side of the transaction was, it was minimal. Like it just, it was a slap in the face to the, the office itself, like the physical real estate. And so all of that to say, like first weigh the considerations on the deal itself. Every deal is a little bit different. We know that in this industry that so many people talk back and forth and share their experience. Like I was happy with this. And so then their friend starts looking at the same, but every, every person's different. Every deal is different. So I think that's something to consider um, the, how much cash you walk away with. If that's your goal, if, if you're willing, if you're wanting to take some, some cash off the table, right? So every deal will likely have that um, in these DSOs and these DPOs, you'll also kind of exchange part of your proceeds for ownership in the larger business. And th that's kind of usual now um, because it is enticing for that, that owner, um, that, that seller, because it gives them a way to participate in the growth of the business beyond like at the day they sell it. So they usually still own, let's say 40% of the practice, but that 60% they've sold, they get a portion of cash, they get a portion of stock in the new business or in the, in the parent company. And so with that, um, just to do your diligence, like you're exchanging cash proceeds for stock. How would you go do your diligence on buying stock on the stock market. Like you got to look at the financials. You got to kind of see their performance. What is the upside in owning that, that business? Um, but that, that usually is enticing because the DSO promises that they can grow the practice beyond what the doctor could. And they can 
use their leverage to get better purchasing power, whether that's insurance reimbursements or supplies, whatever that is. They can also use their network to attract associates to come in under that doctor where that doctor couldn't do it in the previous um, ownership phase. And so those are a lot of the promises that, you know, we talked about earlier that a DSO could deliver on uh, or tries to deliver on. Um, but, but ultimately, the big financial uh, reward in that is whatever cash you exchange for that stock, that stock goes up in value from that time on. And so the other, the last portion of the proceeds is obviously you still have a ownership in your practice typically until you fully retire. And then you would sell a portion or all back to the office or some to the associate that is now practicing in that location. And that's kind of the exit of the doctor typically. So um, what happens along the way, usually these DSOs, DPOs are um, funded by either bank or private equity injections. So that's the capital in these transactions. Um, these DSOs, DPOs, like they don't have a ton of like cash. They have leverage, they have loans essentially. And so every DSO, every DPO that we've seen now, there may be somebody special out there that we haven't seen yet, but they do have funding from either private equity or some type of bank, private, private bank or investment bank, whatever. Um, you have to be okay with that. Like there's risk involved with that. And a lot of times they make that selling doctor personally guarantee a portion of the, of the loan in certain situations. Now we've seen things where that was not the case, but it does come up occasionally. And for somebody that is risk averse, debt averse, that could be a deal breaker. So usually that'll be identified in the early stages of an, of an agreement of an LOI that it would be funded with debt. Um, we, we typically um, shy away from the doctor trying to personally guarantee in most situations just because they're not 100% shareholder anymore. And if they just, if they wanted to refinance their practice and take some cash out of the business, they could do that on their own and, and be okay with it. Um, so it, it just has to be evaluated, um, essentially. Yeah. And I think one big thing to remember if the enticing part is that you have the ability to work less while still earning income is to make sure that you really read the fine print on your production goals or the yes. amount of production that they're requiring of you. If you're, you know, joining this organization or selling part of your practice to this organization, just with the intent that you're not going to be um, at the same level of production you have been in the past, you need to make sure that that's outlined in that agreement so that you have the ability to do that and don't get stuck producing as much or more in order to benefit from the growth of the practice. And, and typically most, unless you push back, all those production agreements are going to be for more than you were producing because until they find you an associate, which at that point, your percentage a pay essentially for what you're doing in the business on a production standpoint would go down because your production would go down and then read the fine print in those employment agreements, because you want to make sure that all of the procedures that you're credited with, that you think you should be credited with actually go into that production number. And it's not something that you thought was included that is not included in that production number. So if they set, if they set a production number of $1.3 million and you get 30% of that, like that is your 
pay. Like that is your compensation for working in the business. That is not being an owner in the business. That is not being a partner uh, of a business to a certain percentage. That is employee pay. And so, or, or doctor percentage pay there from y'all are familiar with that. So, um, the thing need, that needs to be understood is, okay, if you increase that from 1.3 to 1.5 or 1.7, and you're a hundred percent owner of that, that actually goes to the bottom line. You did all of that work. Are you going to be okay with increasing your production to 1.5, 1.7 and only getting 30% of that? And then, you know, a portion of that will go to the bottom line, but you're only a 40% owner of that business. And so, it really depends on the deal and, and what your goals are in that. Um, I don't think anybody enters into this unless they're just so done with running a business that they sign on for something like that. So go into it, read every agreement. If you can't read, read the legal fine print, employ somebody that can read it and, and, um, you know, digest it and then ultimately share with you in layman's terms what it means. What are three things, you know, I always love three things, but what are three things um, that a good DSO offer might include? So, yeah, three things that a good DSO offer would include. One is just it's, it's a clear plan. It is simple. Uh, and, and that's where whether it's a DSO or any other business sale, can you repeat it back to me what you heard and what's been legally documented? And does it make like, do both of those agree? And typically they don't. Um, so one, is it really simple? Do you understand where the cash is coming from? Do you understand all the players in, in the game? Um, and the second thing is what's guaranteed. Um, so knowing what your guarantee are, what, what your guarantees are. And so, how much cash are you walking away with? What's that stock worth that, that you now own? And then what is the plan for your remaining interest? Like, what is that timeline? And so typically uh, that comes back to good communication. So what did we say? We said guarantee, simplicity, and I think it is communication. Um, I'm going to go out easy on that one because um, to be clear is to be kind. And so you want to make sure that who you're dealing with, who you're doing business with from this point on can clearly communicate with you. A lot of these deals, we get into like these legal phone calls during due diligence and there's 10 lawyers on the phone, all of them are on mute. And you're just like, how much does this phone call even cost? They're all <laughs> internal at the DSO, but the client is being represented by their attorney that they're paying. They're, rep they're represented by us on that phone call as well. And maybe somebody else who's just another set of ears. Um, but, but that's the piece, like go with your gut. I think, you know, it, it's, most most people feel comfortable. They see their friends or their colleagues go a certain route, and then they only hear the positive. Like, you know, what people share at the the society, you know, the different events or on the golf course is only the positive of what happens. Nobody's going to share when stuff goes sideways or when it doesn't go well. Um, you may hear about it after, like way after the fact, <laughs> well, and then the yeah, other... We live Go in a ahead. world of highlight reels only yeah. highlight reels and the most perfect picture that can possibly be painted for sure. The other thing that you have to realize is your colleagues that sold to the DSO have a financial incentive 
to get you on that same DSO bus. So they are paid a commission for any new, like it's a, you hate to say MLM. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not that bad, but they are paid and they are incentivized by bringing other doctors that they want to be in partnership with on the bus. Like that is, that's also a selling feature. It's like, hey, you know anybody else that would, this would be good for? So just know that they're, that relationship with that colleague may be tainted a bit because they're like, oh, I'm, they see you as a dollar sign. It's like, this is a commission check, buddy. Um, so all of that to say, like, know who the players are um, and just be real clear, simplistic, you know, s- simplicity, you know, clear communication and guaranteed money. Um, that's That's the main three, I think. Are there any ideal situations for accepting a DSO offer? So say it is a good, it is a good offer. Um, What are one or two ideal scenarios when it's a a good time to accept a DSO offer? We are not against DSO. Like, you know, like that, (laughs) that is one of the things, like we are here to support entrepreneurial doctors. um, And to that point, even every doctor gets to that point where they've, they, they've had enough. They throw their hands up. They can't identify that associate who's going to, they can't make that deal happen. And sometimes even when we evaluate a DSO thing, like a DSO offer, it is much stronger than the doctoring continuing to practice. So we have to just make sure like, is this what you really want? If that's great, let's go do it. If not, like this may not be the right time. So, um, but yeah, there are situations where it's like retirement is inevitable, like, Maybe there's a health event. Maybe there's somebody that just can't practice anymore. Unfortunately, in that situation, the purchase price isn't going to be um, as high as somebody that could continue to practice in, in that. Um, certain specialties are worth more than others. So depending on, um, you know, general is still the wild west of dentistry. You can do a lot of different things. But once you specialize, it's, um, you know, the multiples on those practices are, are typically um you know, good. And so we've seen different players in the game. We know everybody at this point who's been around the block and bought practices and we know who's good and who's bad. And we've heard good and bad stories from both on the other side of things. Um, So it's just, you have to, you have to do all of your due diligence. You have to make sure that you go into that situation fully educated, never rush a deal. Uh, We've seen We've seen DSOs try to rush a deal with a 45, 60 day close. You started this practice and you owe it to yourself to, to take time to sell it. Um, and so usually that's, that's what we'll see. And, and every DSO um, will want you 60 days after the first offer. Like, I, I don't think there's anything changing that fast where they won't honor it. Something may happen in due diligence where it was, not what they thought they were getting into and they would, that that may kill a deal, but not, not, uh, not time typically. So yeah, um, yeah, a lot of things. We really thought this conversation was important because we do serve a lot of dental orthodontic and veterinary um, business owners. And so we just want to make sure that they are educated and informed because if it hasn't happened already, the time will come when a larger organization presents them an offer. And so just want to make sure that they feel educated and supported, that other people understand that there are a lot of considerations when accepting an offer and not to be blinded or jaded by just that multiplier 
um, that might be presented first. That's always going to be the promise of money and time are going to be presented first. And we can talk about the details later. Um, so make sure that you're asking about those details as soon as possible. Yeah, I think every deal, um, there, like I said, there's a lot that we like in, in the different DPO and DSO models. Um, how much are they going to change is, is one thing to ask yourself. Um, are they going to leave you alone? Are they going to, you know, the patients aren't even going to know a transaction happened. There's not going to be any, like, is it just truly support is what we would want to see um, for the owner. Um, you know, are you able to take a six to seven or eight X multiple up to a 12 X multiple because you're now part of this bigger organization that has gone through a few different private equity events like recaps or sales and your practice is worth that much more, which means your investment is worth more. So like those are things to consider. What is the timeline on that next private equity event? If it is a private equity backed um, DSO or DPO. And if you're if you're invested enough to stick around, what what are you okay with your life looking like? So if you've already scaled back quite a bit and you're only practicing three days a week or something that's really manageable um, in your eyes, uh, like, but now you have a certain quota to hit as far as production is concerned. And that's a very, um, that's a large part of your annual compensation. What does that look like? And are you willing to give up that time freedom for those dollars, um, for, you know, for a practice you don't un own a hundred percent of. Um, so a lot of considerations and obviously we've mentioned the advisors, you need to talk to your family, your spouse, like if you're going to retire and be at home five days a week, is your spouse okay with that? Like, want, <laughs> you know, like, um, so a lot of things to consider, um, going into these and do yourself the service and not rush through any of those steps when selling your business. I think this has been a great conversation. I think it'll be very helpful for a lot of practice owners to hear um, and even other people who are helping to advise those practice owners what to look out for. Yeah. So thanks and for hopefully sharing. Every, hopefully everybody's got a dentist. Maybe your dentist is in that situation and you share it, you know, too. So, um, yeah. Don't tell, and, don't tell my dentist that I am considering not flossing every day. <laughs> well, I think that right now there's a meme going around where it's like nine out of every 10 dentists recommend flossing once a day. So you just need to find that one dentist that doesn't rec <laughs> recommend flossing uh, once a day. And maybe yeah. he recommends twice a day. I don't know. So <laughs> that's um, probably it. That's yeah. probably exactly it. Um, but that guy's onto something, you know, it's like, uh, yeah. So, but probably good conversation. Us stock in floss. <laughs> he, he's the denture guy and he just wants all your teeth to fall out. Um, so that's, that's his play. All right. Well, this has been a good conversation. We'll see you on the next. All right. Thanks for hanging with us to the end of another episode. If you have thoughts, comments, or feedback you would like to share, please leave us a comment or review on your favorite podcast listening platform. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. Join us again next week for another great conversation.